This is the Wealthy Retailer Podcast with your host, Dan Holman. Every episode, Dan talks with a variety of retail experts, owners, managers, and so much more, sharing their expertise, their experiences, and the retail topics that matter to you, the independent retailer. The Wealthy Retailer Podcast is brought to you by Canadian Retail Solutions. Learn more at retailbycrs.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Glad you're joining us today. We've invited an old friend. She's not old, but she's been with us before. Uh, Margot Kopman with Project Retail. Margot is a stylish visionary, this ambitious multitasker, and a true retail junkie. She lives eats and breathes all all things retail. And over the last 15 years, her passion for this science of retail has led her down this, this path of success with her independent retailers. She has this innate ability to simplify complex data and analytics, you know, pairing it with these strong analytical skills or critical thinking skills to move clients forward in today's market. Margot, Welcome back to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Dan. Thanks for that great introduction. Hey, every bit of it is the truth. This is who you are. Happy to be back. (laughs) I'm glad to have you back. And, you know, the reason that I'm always excited to have you back is because you bring this feet on the street perspective in how do we marry art and science. And, you know, Margot, for those of you that don't know, is a retailer um, at her core. She'll share a bit of her, her background, how she got to where she is today in leading the project retail team. Um, but she is a retailer at heart and understood quickly how adding science into her art delivered a clearer picture that, you know, for Margo and I, it's all about profitability, that picture, that beautiful picture, um, and, and her innate ability to move the needle with, with retail um, is one of the reasons that I aspire to be Margot when I grow up. Margot, give us this little background. How did you get to be, um, I mean, this, this, how did you decide to found uh, Project Retail and, and now launch this thing 15 years down the road? So, you know, I was a retailer, really ambitious, early 20-year-old, and just sort of always knew that I was an entrepreneur and that I was not cut out for corporate America. Um, And I was driving down the street one day to my corporate America sales job and saw for lease sign and said, I'm calling them. And sort of serendipity happened where I was at a networking event like two days later and a banker stood up and said, we're the number one SBA loaning bank in the Midwest. Um, At the time I lived in St. Louis, where I'm from. And I was like, I need to talk to you about something. And so that sort of got the ball rolling. The guy that, that, you know, leased this really cool space that was, you know, in a great, great little town in St. Louis. He, um, he was a neighbor. So, you know, it just sort of all kind of came together, wrote a business plan, got an SBA loan and hit the ground running. And, um, you know, I, I'm, as you said, a retail junkie, a true retailer at heart. And, you know, I was like, this is easy. This is so fun. I get to go shopping. All these ladies are coming in. I get to help them look and feel fabulous and all of these things. And then I quickly realized I have no money to buy inventory for the next season. 
And four years went by where it was literally, I mean, every sale mattered. How am I going to get to the next credit card bill, the whole nine yards? And I was yapping my big mouth. As you know, I love to talk, Dan. And I, you know, was talking to this gal who had another store in town. And I said, why? I mean, you're, you're killing it. Like, like, tell me your secret, man. Like, I got to know, am I in the wrong, like neighborhood? Like what's going on? And she's like, well, who does your open to buy? And I'm like, uh, what's that? And then I quickly realized that I needed her consultant's phone number or affiliate, I should say. And I picked up the phone and called this woman and she was like, well, I'm not accepting any clients. And I was like, yeah, you are. And I'm her. And I promise I will not be high maintenance. So it just changed my life overnight. And what I realized, um, you know, was that there are so many people out there in the independent retail world that don't really know and understand this part of it, the science part of it. And if they do know of it, they're scared. And what I really wanted to do was make it, you know, not scary because it's not expensive you get a return on your investment and then some, and it takes a lot of pressure off of you as the owner who's really in it for the art part. Um, and I wanted to kind of like scream that from the mountaintops as cheesy as that sounds. So I tried to do both, keep my store and, and start a consulting business and was quickly kind of alerted that, you know, two jobs is not really a good idea. And so I sold my store in 2008. Yep, 2008. And I've been doing the consulting full time since then. So, um, you know, helping one retailer at a time live their live their best life. You know. Yeah, and so that that is important. I'm helping them live their best life. So how do you get to, you know, with the retailers that you work with? How do you uncover what their best life is, or is it? You know, how do we how do we marry what our version of their best life is and their version of their best life? Yeah, great question. You know, I am a relationship person. So, you know, it's really for me about creating the relationship and trust within the relationship to really understand what motivates them, you know, whether it's money or it's recognition or it's empowering a, a full staff of people like you know truly what motivates them and what it is that they truly need out of the business because you know for some people it is that they you know support their entire family for some people it really is just the business itself that they love and they're true true CEOs you know so really trying to create the relationship to understand what motivates them is crucial because, you know, I can tell, I can scream from the mountaintops all day long that, you know, here's how much you need to buy. But if it's not related to what the end result could possibly be, sometimes it falls on deaf ears and it, it's not understood. Right. So that's, that's probably the hardest part of our jobs, right? As, as consultants out there, which I hate that word, but, you know, really advisors per se is, is like, is, you know, how do you coach people to take action on what's in their best interest? Um, 
And I think the other thing is that I've learned, you know, much later in my career, because I, you know, your ego in the beginning kind of gets in the way because you, you like the retailers don't know what you don't know, right. is that the listening skills, right? And, and actually having the dialogue that's challenging and also as the expert or the coach to say, you know, we tried that, it didn't work, right? What can we do better together next time? Because I am not, you know, the end all be all and have all of the answers. I'm here to coach you and help you, you know, grow in whatever way possible. But sometimes, you know, shit happens. No and so problem. let's just talk about the difference between coaching, mm -hmm. um, advising, mentorship. You know, these are all different terms. I mean, we use these labels, but it's the action that changes. You know, when you're mentoring someone, it's very different than when you're coaching someone. Mm -hmm. right coaching is as much about I believe is as much about as I as identifying a system that delivers an outcome whereas mentorship is different than that mentorship is you know how you should be carrying yourself day to day the mm -hmm. things that you need to pay attention to day to day coaching is all about a system mm -hmm. and so are you attracted to um clients uh that retailers that need coaching or those that need mentorship? I would say that's a great question. I, I would say that my skill set is more on the coaching side as opposed to the mentor side. Um, I'd like to say that I, I can be a mentor. Right. There's probably an 80-20 rule there, 80% you know, coaching, 20% mentorship. I think it also depends on that specific retailer and where they're at and what they actually need because more of the mentoring I find, and I don't know if you find this with your, you know, client base, when it's the mentor, you know, position, right? It's more that the owner isn't the doer, right? In, in the organization where the coaching then shifts in the conversations with the, the buying team, the merchandising team, or the sales team, or whoever it is that I'm talking to. So it just really probably depends, but I am definitely a very strong coach and probably need to take some mentor classes sometimes because it gets a little, I get it. I take it so personally because, you know, these, these, these clients are family, you know, um, and they're long-term relationships. So it's sometimes because I am, you know, an emotional person per se it gets a little you know touchy feely and it can it can cloud i mean it can cloud delivery when when someone is as passionate about the result as you are you know delivery gets clouded in that and and it changes between coaching and mentorship and i mean in some cases it changes to changes to dictation yeah yeah don't do this yeah which yeah. is not at all coaching or mentorship it's you know, you're giving directive. Now you're the CEO. And, you know, for me, that's not really a place that I ever want to be. I think you've been around me. You've seen me stand in front of a room, you know, of, in, of, of clients and, and staff, and I won't tell people what to do. That's not my job. My no, job you, is to help them undercover, uncover. Right, right. You love, you, love, you love to stand there and do the little smirk, the Dan Holman smirk. <laughs> I know what I want you to do, but I, I know what you should say. Yeah. What, yeah. 
you want to do or what you should do. Right. And I think that that's part of what allows us to move ourselves forward mm -hmm. is to not always spit out an answer, but, but rather coerce that, guide that, incent that, you know, out of people. Mm -hmm. And that, I believe, makes a great coach. I, I look at coaches in all aspects of our world, sports and business, and none of them are any different. You know, they're there to get the best out of their players, the best out of their team. And, you know, that's different than mentorship. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't want to teach you how to do something. I mean, I, I think that there is a portion of what we do that's education, but there's yeah. a lot more that's coaching. Yeah, Here's a system that works. Let's Let's start to adapt that. Let's bring in the right player so that we can expose this. So yeah. let's let's springboard from that over to talk to me about what, you know, as we're coming through this last completely effed up two years um, in the world that wasn't really all that effed up in retail. We don't have a lot of retailers in our in our inner circle that have suffered greatly in the last two years. No, we don't. So it's not nearly as bad as what the world might want us to believe it is. Talk to me about what you saw as 221 finished up. I, you know, maybe not the best quarter of the year, but there were still good strategy and tactic that allowed retailers to move themselves forward. Give me some idea of what you saw happen in Q4 last year or 21 that has to carry us forward into 22 and beyond. Um, okay. So, you know, I think that one thing that was really clear and coming off of like the crazy from 20 into 21 is, you know, we all had to take a step back and say, okay, do we have the right people in the right seats on the bus? And what I think was the most important and very, very much a part of the success, you know, for the buying and the selling was, you know, really identifying and empowering the, the people, whether they're big or small, it doesn't matter if it's a staff of three or if it's a staff of 50, it doesn't matter, is really empowering and, and making sure that everybody knows what we're here for, what it is that we're trying to accomplish and making sure that we have the right people in the right seats on the bus because moving into, you know, 2020, which is another sort of unknown year, right? What do you mean? 2022. Oh my God. I, I have been doing that by the way. And it's like, no, no, no. 2020 was like, it didn't even exist, but it did. <laughs> Um, into 2022, it's like, if you, you know, it, it retail was so good. Right. And it, and I don't want to say it was luck because it, it wasn't, it was really, truly focusing and paying attention on what your opportunities were, right. In your inventory to buy and sell, and then empowering the front of the house and the back of the house to make it happen and having the right people, right. You need the right people. And so as we're moving into 2022 and we're still in this hyperinflation, those processes and, and the organization of the team and making sure that everybody feels good, is doing good, understands, and has the skill set that they need 
to help move the business forward is crucial because everybody was kind of doing everything there for a while, right? right? Because we had to, we had to pivot. And, you know, the beautiful thing about independent retail is we can pivot faster, much faster and smarter in some cases than, you know, big box retail. So I'm a big, big stickler for, you know, when it, when the good times are happening, right? Like, yes, we might've had a pandemic, but these, these retailers businesses were so cash, you know, full. And, you know, by the end of 2021, that if the, if the processes and the procedures are, are broken moving forward into 2022, which is an unknown, and then 2023, even further out, also an unknown, then it's going to be harder to pivot again if it's necessary right. and, and do the right thing. So I think that's probably number one. Um, I think in regards to like selling and stuff, which is interesting and like buying, um, which is really more of what I'm involved in, obviously, the science part on the on the buy side is, you know, really reducing assortments and nailing down what it is that people are really buying from you. Because now the supply chain is still screwed up. It's not, you know, that that really hasn't changed. As a matter of fact, I was just on a call with a client and, you know, all of their January and February deliveries are all now pushed to March. So, you know, this is happening again. And, you know, we can't control that. But, you know, you can't, you want to make sure as a retailer that you're providing an experience that makes sense. So when supply chains are broken, if you have a bunch, you know, if you have a lot of a little, or no, it's yeah. a little of a lot, if you have a little of a lot, meaning you have a huge assortment of, of product, it's going to be much harder to sell. Right. So, so, you know, that assortment is, is, is so key. One of the things that I, I think saved us um, in the last two years, as we saw disruption and change and, you know, order orders that or product that landed way late, it didn't matter because there was pent up demand and the demand kept, kept increasing. And, and there was no way for the consumer to satisfy that demand. Well, that's gone. Mm -hmm. And so now disruption, if we're not controlling, if we don't have our finger on the pulse of inflow a product, we're going to be in a world of hurt mm -hmm. because the consumer doesn't have pent up demand right now. That doesn't mean that she's going to stop buying. It just means that we're going to see a smoother line of consumer purchasing. I mean, yes, we're going to see them purchasing on lots of different channels. You know, we're going to see difference in e-com and in brick and mortar and social selling. I don't disagree with that. And I think we have an opportunity to increase market share, but we're not going to see those big peaks of spending which means when we get a big peak of receiving, it's going to hurt us from a cash flow perspective. And, you know, I have to say the well is going to dry up. The federal governments and your country and mine, they don't have any more money to print. They don't have any more money that they can keep giving to us mm -hmm. to keep us afloat. At some point, there will come a day of reckoning and it's mm -hmm. going to be sink or swim. And we want to make sure that our assortment isn't so wide that it sinks us. Mm -hmm. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And so think about looking forward into the unknown. We've always had an unknown. We think that we had this ability. We've believed erroneously that we have the ability to predict the future. Margot, you and I for, for, for more than a decade have preached that we can see the future. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, that totally got screwed to shit, didn't it? We can't yeah. see the future. No. All we can do is react with the best strategy we can when faced with new obstacles. So here you are staring down the unknown of 2022. What things are you seeing today in your retail audience that are protecting them for the unknown? Oh, I mean, I'm a little jaded with that right now because I think one of the things that is scary for people, right? I mean, I'll go back. The, what's protecting them right now is that they were sitting on cash. I mean, they generate, yeah, a great amount of cash, which, you know, is incredible. Um, you know, and there is a little bit of fear for a lot of people that, you know, they're like, eh, I've been, I've been through the ringer in retail for, you know, they've been in business for, you know, 20 years, 30 years, they've ridden a bunch of waves. So there are, there are sort of this, this like, there is this like lingering feeling of like, I should sit on the cash, even though it's sort of not spoken. Um, because, you know, we want to still grow the business this year, right? And you need cash, you want to spend your cash to do that. And it's always hard first quarter COVID or no COVID doesn't matter is always an unknown. It is always terrible. I mean, January and February is just, it sucks. Like it just doesn't, it does not matter where you are, what you're selling. It's just, it, it's like, it's just, it's really hard, right? So I think what's even harder right now, because we, we sort of got really used to, and this benefited us sort of working in the shorter term, right? Where it was like 90 day windows of, of buying, maybe 120 day windows of buying. Now these vendors are back into this whole thing of, okay, it's six months, right. you know, it's five to six months and they want orders earlier. They want these confirmations earlier. And it's not so much about the buyers. They don't know what, you know, is going to sell. And I mean, no, again, no one has a crystal right. ball, but these buyers are good. They understand their customer, all that stuff. It's just more about we aren't prepared yet really to put the put the pen to the paper, you know, and actually say in the first week of February what my fall season is going to look like. So now we're back to that. And that is actually quite scary for people. So how I coach them is just, you know, remember that you can, you're always, you're all, you can always make your money back from what you buy. And the, the true opportunity is in the assortment because it's much easier to hit something big that you invest in than to try and sell a little of a lot once the season's over. Right. Let and, me ask you this. Sorry, go yeah. ahead, finish. Yeah, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Let me ask you this. Do you think that I mean, I certainly recognize, I feel the pain of the vendors and manufacturers pushing back on retail and saying, you know, I mean, I'm working with someone today, you know, here we are end of February and they've got to place their October, November orders. Today's the deadline. If you don't place it today, we're not cutting it. Well, would they have no idea what next, you know, December is going to look like already. And, but I'm going to back this up with saying, don't you think that there's going to be a shift with vendors? Look at what's happening with trade shows. 
yeah. mean, look at the biggest trade show in North America, Informer Magic, not Magic, but Informer, the Informa group that drives trade shows. They're saying, okay, we're not just doing four trade shows a year. You know, we're not going to just do two in New York and two in Las Vegas. Now we're going to start to add regional shows. Like when was the last time you went buying in May? Mm-hmm. Are we buying in May now for September, October? Or are we buying in May for February and March? Mm-hmm. I mean, well, I think now. they just released today. It's, you know, magic um, is going to be in Nashville, May 15th and 16th, the middle of May. Well, when the hell have we ever gone buying in an apparel world, you know, for May? I mean, we've got to be buying immediates then. I mean, close to immediate. Maybe it's fall goods in May. Yeah. But does that mean that that our ability to access goods is going to change? I think no, because I think there's always something to sell. So yeah. I one of the things that that retailers fear, you know, it's a very big fear. It's just like they fear to, you know, double down, triple down on styles and and reduce the actual assortment on the style level and by deep. I yeah. think they fear that they're going to miss out. And I and I the ones that I I mean, the specific retailers that I work with that don't have that fear and do what's best for them based on what's being presented to them, they always win because they're ready to take action, right? To do the work, which is work to chase immediates, right? So it's that fine line of chasing versus placing. And, you know, that the conversation I had today, I said, well, guys, if this 50 grand's not going to land this month, like you need to go find 25,000 that literally can come in tomorrow. Right. You know, because at the end of the day, you still have overhead, right? Forget about if you, if you can't pay for the inventory right now, or you have terms or whatever, you still have overhead. So you still need to hit the top line sales to, to get through the overhead, at least pay for the overhead. So, you know, if that's going to happen, you need to pivot immediately and pick up the phone and start making phone calls. And I find that, that the retailers that are actually willing, and I don't even want to say willing, because sometimes, you know, they don't have the infrastructure and the staff to help, right? Depends on how big you are, how small you are, even in some small retailers. I mean, I have clients that, you know, they're sole owners, they have multiple stores, they have multiple kids, like, you know, that are in 15 different extracurricular yeah. activity, you know, it's like, there's just not enough time in the day. And so if everybody can just do the best that they can, they, they will hopefully win. You know, they are going to, they are going to win as long as they're measuring it, you know, treating their people good, the front, you know, their people and their customers, like, but I do not think that there will ever be a shortage of product to buy in season, out of season, in any season, and any vertical. There, you know, in some verticals, like the men's business, you know, I mean, these guys, you know, in the clothing business, that's been really challenging because nobody was wearing, you know, suits, sport coats, you know, dress shirts, all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that supply chain, I mean, it was sold out. But like in the women's business, you know, which is the majority of retail at this point, you know, um, there is always product to buy, always. And I think, you know, looking at different verticals, I'm going to go back, I'm going to jump back, but I'm going to say looking at different verticals, you know, other than container loads of, of tchotchka for home goods stores coming across the water, there's always been access to goods. And even in that, you know, home accessory world or gift world, 
there was always domestic inventory to go and get. We just, we, we don't know what we don't know. And that's right. part of our challenge. And so I'm going to just back up and say, you know, that, that solopreneur, that girl with three stores and four kids and, you know, three basketball games and two ballet classes a week and da, 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 da. You know, the thing that stops them from moving their business forward is always fear. It's the fear that I can't afford this person. And we have always been reluctant to throw people at a problem. Mm -hmm. And in the last 12, maybe 24 months, people have been our greatest asset mm -hmm. and the acquisition of good people. You talked early on the start of the podcast about the right people in the right seat on the bus. But that solopreneur, I mean, I, I'm, I'm talking to somebody today who is, she wears every single hat in the business. And I'm like, girl, you got to stop this. She's like, well, I can't afford to hire somebody. I said, you can't afford not to hire somebody. Yeah. I mean, you want a, you want a quick entry to a grave? Don't hire someone. Yeah. You know, you want time to go to the basketball game tonight? Get somebody on your team that you can let go of the vine, that you can empower, as you said, uh, that you can empower to do what needs to be done. And that might be something as simple as calling, looking for product. Mm -hmm. Get on there and find me t-shirts. Yeah. Get on there and find me candles. Get on there and find me you yeah. know, dinnerware. Whatever it is, doesn't matter what vertical you're in. Yeah. I agree with you. There's inventory available. Yeah, and yeah. I think you and I are in the same place. I'm okay chasing some goods. Mm -hmm. Me too. Certainly last year. And there are exceptions to this. You know, anybody that's in a resort town, if you didn't glut up an inventory, you know, at the end of last season, you maybe didn't maximize opportunity this year. And even in ski scores, scores today, ski scores, ski stores today, I'm saying, hey, if you got ski equipment that's available, land it right now. I know season's over here, but land the inventory. Yeah. Because that's where you're going to see big disruption in that true niche that is, you know, sk skate, ski, snow, bike. I mean, bike stores were obliterated because they couldn't get inventory. Yep. Well, now that you can have some inventory, load up on it. But everybody else, it's okay to chase a little bit of inventory. Mm -hmm. And especially through this first quarter, chase some goods. Yes. And as you see more disruption, you've got to go spend that open to buy dollar. It's no good in the bank. And this is the thing that retailers yeah. in the last 12 months that have come from a place of no cash, and now they got cash in the bank, they're holding on to it like it's their last breath. Totally. And that's not entrepreneurial. No. That's and, grandma saving. And that's not what we do here. Yeah. And, and I think even too, to that point is, you know, there are certain places where you push the gas, right. And you yeah. go for it, but then there are certain places where chasing is okay because we know the industry we're in it with them and we know that there's going to be product available but like you said for some of this stuff you know put your foot on the gas like right. it, it's okay invest in it yes even if you have to sit on it for a while and then pull back in the areas you know that don't make sense because you know you can chase it right so that way you're, you're kind of sitting in the middle, you know, you're spending money where you really need to, where the opportunity is going to be, whether it's today, tomorrow, or in 90 days from now, but then chase the goods that you know you can chase because it's just a better way to allocate the cash. If for 
if for whatever reason you are wanting to sit on your cash, you know, right. I mean, and who am I to say it don't sit on it? I mean, you know, that's where the relationship comes in, which is always interesting to me. Cause it's like, if you know that someone is supporting their family, right. you know, and they want to make sure their kids go to college and the college funds set up and it's not, they're not going for six, seven, eight years. Guess what? I mean, inflation's going to plateau and then, you know, demand's going to actually go down because right. it's retail, you know, and, and there's always a cycle. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, everybody in, in the world, I didn't know this, but everybody that's in this world knew, knows that there's a pandemic every hundred years. So like, here we are, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, I would have loved that phone call. Like, could somebody have alerted me of that? You know, like, like, so it's the same thing. There's always going to be this cycle. So like ride the cycle, but really get smart about it. And if you're not measuring it, right? Right. Yeah. I think you and I can look back now and go, okay, well, there was a peak, there was a valley, there was a peak, there was a valley. I mean, even in the last 15 or 20 years, we can go, oh my God, look at the three peaks and three valleys. Huh. Is it possible that that might happen again? Yeah. And it's the length of the peak or the length of the valley that's unknown. Right. And to the degree that we can step on the gas while we're riding at the top, yeah. we'll maximize opportunity. And still, and to your point, listen, I am not somebody, it's not my place to say to somebody, get off your, your, your fat bank account ass. Yeah. It's your money. If you yeah. want to park it in the bank and earn 4% on it, carry on. Yeah. You know, do that. If but you want I to turn one into three, you know, let's take a little piece of it and here's where there's opportunity. And I think that that's probably one of your greatest attributes today is the ability to see opportunity objectively and not be fearful of eating craft dinner tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. This is what entrepreneurialism is all about. It's throwing caution to the wind and saying, listen, I don't give a shit what tomorrow looks like. I'm going to make the best of today and I'm going to try to make a better tomorrow. But if I fail, I'll start over again. I mean, this is the tenacity that's required. And I think that that's part of what we have to coach in, you know, in our entrepreneurial audience. Yeah. You know, where to take risk and where not to take risk and yeah. not judge people because they don't want to spend money or don't judge them because, you know, they bought a hundred thousand dollar car. Good on you, girl. You deserve it. Yeah. You deserve it. You're going to Tahiti. Fucking right. You deserve it. Good job. Well, and you know, it's funny too, because it's actually a little bit of a, of a breath of fresh air. Cause it, I don't, I can't say it's 50, 50, you know, with right. the retailers that I talk to that like, you know, are, are pedal to the metal versus, you know, pulling back and sitting on the cash. But I was in having a conversation with um, a prospect the other day and, and uh, they brought up inflation and, and actually putting, putting the pedal to the metal. And I said to him, I said, I said, listen, I am a, I am an optimist. I am a half glass full. I believe that you build it. They will come Kevin Costner field of dreams. Yeah. Like I know that if you believe it can happen, doesn't mean if you believe in a specific way that what the outcome is going to be is exactly what you thought it was going to be. But I do believe, you know, if you, if you truly believe work hard and make it happen, it's, that it will happen for you. And, you know, but there's a, there's a place and a time. And so in all those little business profit centers in, in every retailer, whether you're, you know, a kid store, a shoe store, a furniture store, it doesn't matter. You have to pick those opportunities 
because you can't, there's too much going on. It's not everything all the time. And if you don't really focus on the opportunities, which if you're not measuring it, right, if you don't have all that data and you can't see that opportunity that's presenting itself, then you are going to be behind the eight ball and you will throw money and not see the calculated risk pay off because it wasn't calculated. It wasn't calculated. It was an uncalculated risk. I mean, it, it is, <laughs> it's throwing dice. Yeah, yeah, it's just advice. And you know, that's great too, but like you have to marry the, the science and the art of it with the relationship too, right. to people like you and I, because the science is equally as important as the art but the relationship and the ability to communicate and to help and guide and coach people is, is crucial in the, if you have that relationship, right. you know, because it's, it's really a recipe for the best dessert on the table. And I can tell you this, you know, someone that, that gets, that has the good fortune to mentor, mentor coaches, you know, the thing that I, that I focus my, the greatest amount of energy on is understand her, know where she wants to be. You will never coach someone to do something that doesn't get them the result that they desire. It doesn't matter how great the art is or how great the science is. If yeah. you don't understand where he or she wants to be next week, next month, next year, next you know decade, you're fighting a losing battle. You're, you're focused on what you want instead of what they want. Yeah. And our job, our job is to be a facilitator. Right. We deliver on if, if I'm coaching you, my job, Margo, is to deliver your vision for you, is to help you achieve what you want. It doesn't matter what I want. If I don't understand the, the power of service above self and that I live in this servient world, I have to serve you to get you what you want, then there is no success formula here. I mean, it's a failure formula. Well, and Dan, you are very good at that, by the way. I would almost even say in some cases that you are my mentor. <laughs> you can help me sometimes see the, the forest through the trees, right. you know, but sometimes I think too, and I'm sure you find this all the time because you do a lot more mentoring than I do is like, you know, even they don't even know what right. they want, you know, in the three year, the five year, the 10 year. And so, you know, to relate all the science part and like, you know, what we analyze, what I analyze, you know, on a regular basis and to, to have, to help take action on it, help them take action on it. You know, sometimes they don't even recognize that why we're, why you're doing that. And so it, it is so much harder to get them to take action. So really, really listening that whole listening thing, you know, to really understand what in the, what, what do you want? You know, if you, you know, do you want to sell it in five years? Do you want to have 10 more stores in five years? Like, what is it that you want so I can help you get there? And the same question that I ask of myself to recognize, I ask that, that retailer to recognize, are you the horse or are you the wagoneer? Are you the, are you the person that's riding that wagon across this train? Or are you the horse that's running around with blinders on? You can't see, a horse doesn't get to see where it's going. It's led by the, by the person driving the wagon and you've gotta be in the wagon, not the horse. 
And too often, retailers are the horse. They got their head down. They can't see where they're going. So because they can't see where they're going, they have no goddamn idea where they're going to be a year or three years or five years from now. And we've got to get people to stop being the horse. Mm -hmm. Your business can only go so far if you're the horse, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's no different. I mean, a true visionary rarely works in all the fields. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're way above it. And that's, if I look back in the last two years, the retailers that I've seen that have had the greatest amount of success were the ones that were able to climb to the top of the tree and go, okay, I know that down there there's this pandemic and there's this big shit storm going on, yeah. but I can see past it. I can see the direction that we need to go. Yeah. Well, and to that point, you know, one of, one of my clients, she, she texted me and she was like, so she was being asked this question. And of course, like on the fly, she's like, okay, I need to know all of the things that were the reason why I was successful last year. And I was like, okay. And she's like, and I need it now. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. And I, I mean, I thought I was like, are you looking for specific numbers and like radio silence? I don't get a text back for, you know, so it's, yeah. it's clearly not that, you know, urgent. And so then, and so then I was like, I was thinking about it and I was like, okay, Actually, I go, do you want to know the number one thing that, that got you through this is the fact that you have the ability to empower the front of the house of your business and the back of the house of your business to run it if, God forbid, something happens right. to you and it's, you know, temporary, right? But if something happened, like they got you, they will help you, they will right. get you through this. So it's that if you can't be the horse, to your point, to your client that does everything. I mean, I was that girl. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was like, I'm, I'll work six days a week. I'll come in on Sundays to enter purchase orders with the day we're closed. I'll do everything. Well, it just holds you back because then, you know, when I wasn't there and somebody would walk in and they're like, oh, Margaret's not here. I'll come back tomorrow. You know, like they wouldn't, they wouldn't stay and engage. So, you know, you can't, you can't, you have to be able to, to have support, you know, man alone is not, is not a good idea when you're, when you're a business owner. I mean, I, 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 I need to teach myself that sometimes too, you know, I mean, you, you're laughing, but it's the truth because I'm the exact same, my yeah. business, you know, the, the point of sale business, Canadian retail solutions has moved further in the last several months with, with pure letting go of the vine leadership mm -hmm. than it has in in the last five years mm -hmm. you know we i have adopted readopted this this strategy of letting go and yeah. empowering you know noah who runs our day-to-day -day business he himself is an empowering individual mm -hmm. so he is empowered to make the best decision possible. But in turn, he empowers everybody around him. He never makes a decision for people. Not to say that he doesn't make difficult decisions, but he's an empowering guy. And to watch almost from the sideline or from the rooftop, you know, my business take great strides forward because the people are empowered, more empowered now than they've ever been is remarkable. And, and retailers don't often give themselves that luxury to rise above and look at what empowerment truly does. And I will agree with you, the greatest success story in any retail life in the last 12 months has been, you know, those retailers that have empowered their people to take turns. Yeah. You know, and they, and they, 
Yeah. And they share and, you know, you, you feel yeah. important. There's a sense of community, you know, which, which was so huge because I mean, listen, we were all stuck in our houses, you right. know, like by ourselves. And, you know, it, it, the, the one thing that we all learned through this is, you know, by being and doing together, we can do great things, you know, right. and for the, for the people that didn't want, you know, to keep the relationship because of fear, like, you know, in the beginning of, you know, of all the crazy, it was like these vendors were, you know, we can't do that. You know, we can't, we, you still have to pay your bill. And it's like, right. guys, let's come meet in the middle here. Like, I don't want to stiff you out of money with products sitting on my floor, but I can't pay the whole invoice. I mean, like there's no possible way. So how can we work this out? You know? So you just really needed to ask for freaking help, you know, and just really say like, this is a team, like just because I'm the owner and I am at the top and I'm air quoting, you know, what does that even mean? Like we're in this together because you are important to me. Right. Yeah. And the biggest mistake that we make is thinking that the owner's at the top of the pile instead of the bottom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The cream rises to the top. <laughs> yeah. the, the owner's left holding the glass of milk. Yeah right? Not the cream. And that's the thing. Our, as an owner in the business, I live in consequence to the team that's, that, you know, on a hierarchy chart is below me or on org charts below me. But every good organizational chart, every good accountability chart has to be spun upside down. The owner has to be at the bottom of the funnel, not the top. And, and that does come from empowerment. You know, my job as an owner is to support the needs of the people that are in the business and empower them to let me know what they need. Mm -hmm. I have to ask for help as much as everyone else. Mm -hmm. And every problem that we're faced with, we should be asking our team, hey guys, I need some help. How do we solve this problem? Mm -hmm. Not here's how we're going to solve it. Right. If I just tell you how to solve the problem, it's my solution, not our solution. Right. And it and creates division. It creates division. And then they're never, you know, it's like the, it's like, it's like if, if any of you listening have an employee that walks up to you and says the light bulb's burnt out and didn't walk up to you and say the light bulb was burnt out and I replaced it, you know that you have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. And I've said this for a long time, you know, even to my own team, don't tell me about a problem if you don't already have a solution. Right. Don't right. identify problems that there are no prospective solutions right. to. I want you to think through this. Right. I want you to come to me with, hey, listen, I've identified a problem and I think I have a solution. Can we talk about it? Yeah. Damn straight we can. I yeah. love that. That's empowerment. Yeah. It was funny. I was just at a client, um, an in-person client, and literally it's it was so so has nothing to do with anything that I do, right? right. I overheard like what was kind of going on. And I was like, okay, can you kind of explain this to me? And so they did. And I was like, let me think about this. I was like, let's try this. And then I got some pushback, right. From another member of the team who kind of spearheads it. And, and I was like, but, but let's just try this. Let's see if this will fix the problem. And sure as shit, it did. And the thing that I coached the, the, the person that I work closest to, as I said, listen, when there's a problem, there's always a solution and we can't, and, and we can't point fingers at other people to 
resolve the solution if we don't understand what the actual true problem is, because right. there's always a solution to the problem, right. right? And so you have to be a critical thinker when you're top level. It doesn't matter if it's the mom and pop store that's got the three employees or the $20 million business. If you are not able to, you know, if you have, if you own something and you're not able to help figure out the solution, then we have to sort of talk about that. It can't be right. an elephant in the room because, you know, those non-critical thinkers and, and you just can't, you just can't point fingers and say somebody else is going to fix it. That's no. And being a critical thinker, I mean, means that you are hypercritical. Mm -hmm right? Of yourself before you're critical of anyone else. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I am so critical of myself that I missed something. I hold myself accountable for things I don't know, which is the greatest mistake that, that, that business owners make, right? They hold themselves accountable for what they don't know instead of empowering the people around them to help move them to a place where they do know. And being a critical thinker means that you're first critical of yourself and your process or your system before you're critical of someone else. Mm -hmm. Maybe critical of process and system instead of critical about people and we'll move the needle. Yeah. Too often we point fingers and yeah. place blame. And you know, as, a, as an entrepreneurial coach, I say to people, I need to know whose eyes to look into. I need to know who owns something. Right. That doesn't necessarily mean they own the problem. Yeah. They, they own the department. They own that seat. We together own every problem and every solution, every executable solution. Yeah. It is that, I mean, that's, that's the team. That's a leadership team or a frontline team, front of the house team or back of the house team. They have to be empowered to be critical thinkers. And those that aren't critical thinkers step aside and allow others to be the critical thinkers and pull those people that are typically the ditch diggers, the ones that do the hard work along with them. Right. Right. Well, and I, I actually just love what you said, Dan, where it's like, you know, there are things, right. And I think I said this earlier, is that there are things that I don't know, yeah. right. That I don't have the answer to. And I think when you're open enough to have the conversations and to bring the people in that you feel would be in, you know, in any business that would be beneficial to your success to right. learn something from, right? Because it's really about being a sponge and learning. Right. And so if you can open yourself up to that, right? And let go of some of the control and say, it's okay that I might not know the answer to this right. and who can help us, right? Get through it, whether it's internal or external. You know, a lot of the conversation now is, you know, who's the best marketing, digital marketing guy, you know, or girl. And yeah. it's like, I don't know, you know, like, right. you know, that I, we had that whole conversation yesterday. Well, what would you put in the email, Margo, for the customers that haven't been in in six months? And I'm like, I, I don't know. The subject line could be like fire, you know, or something <laughs> in all bold letters. I was like, yeah. I do not know. All I know is, is that clienteling, right? Mm -hmm. And using your low-hanging fruit of people that have actually been customers of yours is way easier and way right. more fruitful than trying to go spend tens of thousands of dollars on getting new customers. That's way more expensive than actually going and, and servicing and creating the relationship, right? right? Another huge success for retailers 
is creating the relationship with their customers, their current customers, not trying to buy new ones. Right, exactly. And I'll tell you this, I, I am the first person that wants to burn an encyclopedia, but <laughs> I enable Wikipedia, right? Encyclopedias are printed documents, historical, they don't mean shit anymore. But Wikipedia scrapes knowledge from everywhere. Yeah. Right. I want to be Wikipedia. I don't know it today, but I know where to go find it. I know how to ask questions. And I think that that's, you know, to your point, I don't know everything. I'm listen, I'm a I'm a far cry from knowing everything. I might know a lot about a little, yeah. um, but but I know very little about a lot. And mm -hmm. I think that that the ability to go and find information is a is a successful ingredient that must exist in our life, which is why I, you know, I like I like to think of things as Wikipedia. It's just out there combing the globe looking for new information. Yeah. Right. It changes every single day. It's not this written word that, you yeah. know, is 70 years old that there's a collection of down in the basement that nobody looks at anymore. It's all oh, yeah. old bullshit information. I remember encyclopedias. So do I, of course. I remember the encyclopedia guy coming into my home. I was probably six or seven years old yeah. and selling my mom and dad this 28 volume encyclopedia and me yeah. thinking, wow, that's pretty cool. Right. Well, now I, you know, probably not be as impressed by that. No, like the, with the gold foil, yes. and like, you always kind of wanted, it was like, you always wanted like your parents to get the year that you were born, you know, encyclopedias. That was like a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Oh sure. my God, that's hysterical. <laughs> All right, Margo. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Uh, retailers, if you like a little bit of what you hear from Margo and you want to find out a little more about her, head over to projectretail.com. Send her an email, margo at theprojectretail.com. Did I say that right? Theprojectretail.com. Yeah, send yeah. her an email, introduce yourself, ask her to introduce herself, catch her on... Um, on all her favorite social platforms. I know she's very active socially. <laughs> Don't judge me, um, uh, to, to wealthy retailer listeners. I am not great with social media. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a people person. I'm a people person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you want to see Margot's smiling face? Go over to theprojectretail.com. Check out everything that they have to offer there, uh, along with her team. Uh, retailers, if you are not subscribed to our weekly newsletter at Canadian Retail Solutions, head over to retailbycrs.com, subscribe to that newsletter, get a copy of this podcast, and tons of other great information that Alex and our team are sharing over at CRS. Um, and if you like this podcast and you think somebody else should maybe listen to it, give them a little nudge. And congratulations, by the way, on your number nine, I think it was, in the awesome <laughs> band. Yeah, well, I don't know what. Well, yeah, I yeah, it is. Thank you. Thank you. That's yeah. Awesome. Congrats. It was, it was uh it was a bit of a surprise when we saw yeah. that. That uh here's so so if you don't know, Feedspot uh compiled this list of retail podcasts, the top 50 podcasts on the planet. So really it is across the globe podcasts. And we were fortunate enough to land uh in the top 10, which you know, good batter, and we're we're there. So I, yeah. I like to be at least in a group. So there's some, some identification. So yeah, uh, the wealthyretailer.com on every one of your favorite podcast platforms. And somebody saw it fit to uh, say that, hey, there's some pretty good relevant shit. And it's probably because of guests like Margo that, uh, that we've got good listeners all over the place. So. Can I have your autograph? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the check I'm writing you, yes. <laughs> all right, girl, thank you so much.